The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, it's great to be here. I brought my, uh, my CEO with me. She's on the front row. Uh, we've been married for 22 years. You don't have to stand. Just, just wave. And uh, I'll talk more about her later. So grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana. Went to a small college in Kentucky called Union College. And uh, ended up playing a year professional basketball on the island of Cyprus off the coast of Greece. That was about 85 pounds ago in my life. <laughs> and that wasn't as funny as you just responded. <laughs> That's me in the 1900s. I don't know what all of that means. <laughs> but this guy was cool. See that waist? That's like a 34. Those are his boots, so there's always been a cowboy in there. Those are striped jeans, you can't tell, and that's a part that's way too big. Okay. So that's what I used to be able to do with the basketball. That's 80, that's 95 pounds ago. All right. That's me when my hair was bigger and my stomach was smaller. Now, no more fat jokes. All right. Um, now, this right here means very little to most of you because you don't understand my story. But um, this is kind of, we're kind of, this is like a first date for us here at Karen, because I live in New York, and I'm hoping that because of our time together, that some of you will connect with us and what we're doing in the city, and who knows, maybe I can go and speak at your church or your school, and who knows what will happen, but I thought I'd tell you a little bit about me, and then we'll see what happens. I'm hanging out for the next two days and hope to have some follow-up conversations with many of you, and so this is kind of how I teach right here, so I'll just walk around, make people feel uncomfortable. If people look the other way, I'll call on them, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Excuse me. And, of course, it's congestion season. But anyway, so now this is interesting because this guy who's head of basketball right now at Baylor, his name is Bill Peterson. And he coached, before he was at Baylor, he coached at Erie Bayhawks, which is the development league team of the Magic. Then he was at the Milwaukee Bucks. Then he was at Colorado State. Before that, he was at Dallas Mavericks. Before that, he was at Alabama Huntsville. Before that, he was at McNeese State. And before that, he was at Union College in Barberville, Kentucky. How many of you have heard of Union College in Barberville, Kentucky? Yeah, like three of y'all. Well, that's where I went to school. And we like to call it the Harvard of, um, yeah, that mountain range. We call it the Harvard of that mountain range right there in Kentucky. And what was powerful is that right before Bill Peterson coached at Union, he coached at Louisiana Tech. He was a graduate assistant from 80 to 83, and he happened to coach a young kid named Carl. That kid's last name was Malone. People know him as the mailman. Y'all ever heard of this guy? Carmelo, the mailman? You know the mailman? I'm not the guy who brings mail to your house, but I mean the, the basketball. You don't, know, you, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, good. So Carmelo's the mailman, and he's the number two leading scorer in NBA history. So my coach, who coached me at Union, had to take the number two leading scorer in NBA history through personal workouts because he was the grunt guy. He was the graduate assistant. He did what all the other coaches didn't want to do. And my coach developed this training methodology that people now go and watch Steph Curry do two hours before the game starts. I was speaking at a private school in Florida on spring break last year, and I met the guy who was the head coach while Carl Malone was there, and he said, do you know that, you know, Bill invented all that stuff, all that personal workout, all that stuff that, like, he's kind of one of the ones, because when, 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 when Carl Malone blew up, they wanted to know, what did he do? And so my coach was one of the guys who was, who was helping him do that stuff, and so I learned the mailman method, and I went from, I'm the tallest guy on my high school team, I'm not very tall, I'm six foot one and three quarters, 
I'm a little bit tall today, but because I'm wearing heels, but I'm not really a tall. What makes me look bigger is that my the the girth. I'm wide like a linebacker now, but I didn't used to be like that, as you saw earlier. So I want to show you something. Practice makes what? Let's say it a little bit louder. Practice makes what? Yeah, that's what most people say, but really successful people don't live that way. Practice makes permanent. That's what successful people know. Now, if you are in here today and you go, you know what, I really don't want to be successful in life. Could you stand up and just let us greet you with the love of the Lord? No, most of us want to be successful in life. And so it's good to understand some things like this. Here's how Vince Lombardi said it. Um, Practice does not make perfect. Only perfect practice makes perfect. And I think he was borrowing from Aristotle that said we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act but a habit. Mr. Pickens, my fifth-grade band teacher who played French horn and had really bad breath. He's the one that said to us, practice makes permanent. And Kevin Singleton say, if you practice the wrong thing, you'll just do the wrong thing really well. So you have to know what to practice, right? Well, that's my wife and I on camels in Egypt. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But what I thought I'd do, what I thought I'd do is I'd show you a few things that my coach showed us, and we don't have a lot of time, but one of the things he would have us do is he would have us go into the gym and, like, dribble a basketball off of a wall. Why would you do that? It makes absolutely no sense. So I can literally walk in a gym, and I can watch what kids are doing, and I can tell whether or not they've been coached by someone who's coached professionals, right? Because if you've been coached by a, profession, by a guy who coaches professionals, you'll do stuff like this when you walk in the gym. And my eyes are closed. And then you'll go left hand on the wall because you don't want to be a one-sided player, and you'll dribble like that. And then you'll, like, juggle a basketball off a wall. Why would you do that? All right, and then make it go in a circle. Okay, okay. Oh, make it go in a circle the other way. All right, and then, um, oh, sorry. And then pass the ball off the wall. All right, so that your hands react to the basketball. And then we would pass the ball off the wall. Whoa, hold that for a second. Just to be a professional, you're pretty much safe. All right, right hand. Can y'all still see this in the back? Okay, well, it's really powerful. All right, <laughs> then. Right hand, and then left hand. Oh, you're sort of safe right there. All right? Okay. How you feel? Comfortable? Good. All right. And then my coach would always say, well, if you can handle three basketballs, then you can handle two basketballs, and you can handle one because you always want to make practice harder than the game. So we would do stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff the mailman did. Now, regular players... They go in the gym and do the wrong thing, and then they get the wrong result, and then they blame the coach for not getting any playing time. Yeah, I said that out loud in public. <laughs> All right, I'll show you a few more things. We drilled basketball, same time, different time. Same time, different time. One low, one high. Switch that one low, that one high. This is called windshield wipers. This is called broken windshield wipers. Get it? Windshield wipe one, windshield wipe with the other one. This is called push and pull, right? It's called broken push and pull, right? This is called triangle because the basketballs make the shape of a triangle. Start off slow, go faster. Left hand. This doesn't have a name, but it's kind of cool. All right, hang on to that for me if you don't mind. Oh, thank you. You can clap. I'll let you clap. Thank you. (laughs) So every time you catch a basketball, your hands have to react to it. This little drill. This is what the mailman used to do. 
Now, my coach would always say this. He said, look, when you make a mistake, you got two choices. You can quit and give up, or you can try again. It's not that successful people never quit. Is that, I mean, that they never give up, that they never fail. I'll get it right. Mucus on the brain. It's not that successful people never fail. Is that they never, they never quit. They never give up. Right? And so I like whoever's back there saying, that's right, that's right. That's right, that's right, that's right. All right. So what I was trying to do is I was trying to make this one hit on top of that one. And I was trying to make this one hit on top of that one. I was trying to throw that up like that and balance it like this. And then do that with one hand. And then do that. And I was trying to make these spin like this. That's what I was trying to do before I messed up. And then I was trying to say, oh, what are you doing to make a mistake? What are you doing to make a mistake? Try again. That's right. I guess I didn't teach you that, but I don't want to take time to do it. I used to do school assemblies. I'd make kids go, try again. <laughs> Something like that. That wasn't good. <laughs> That's better. Start high. Go low. Sorry for the side view. <laughs> and I'll let you clap. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll do more basketball stuff with the, with the athletes because I'm talking to them later today. But I have too much stuff to go through with you guys. So I'm going to sit on the stool like Uncle Kev right here because I'm tired of going up and down that. Now, this right here, that's us on camels. That was the elite camp that we were working at in Egypt, me and my wife. Whew. That's the puppy personification of my wife and I. I'm kind of the hugger. I'm like, oh, everything. She's like, oh, well, you may not want to trust them. You may not want to trust them. Everyone's so loving. She's like, you better check that out first, boy. All right. So puppy personification. That's me and my wife on a boat near a statue. That's me scaring somebody's kid in Columbia. That's me singing at uh, Radio City Music Hall. That's me singing at uh, Barclays Center. I go to a church called Hillsong. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's a little, little church from Australia. They started in New York uh, about nine years ago. And uh, I don't sing quite as much as I used to. I used to be on the worship team all the time. But uh, running my business, I spend a lot more time um, doing that. And, but at the conferences, a lot of times they'll let me sing. And my wife gets mad at me for not leading worship more often. And uh, I just won't bring that up. I just did. Sorry. And this was me at, uh, at Barclays Center this past conference. So I got a chance to, to lead at the conference. This is us at the United Nations. Um, that's a South African ambassador. And that's a friend of mine who's one of the best guitarists in the world. He plays with Richard Bona. And Winnie Mandela had passed away, Nelson Mandela's uh, wife. And they asked me to do the memorial service. So we got a chance to sing at the, at the UN for a couple of memorial services. And Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, and I'll come back to this slide, but if you go ahead and put the scripture up there. Whew, I got my wind back. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore, and whenever you see, I'm sure your Bible teachers teach you this, Whenever you see therefore in the scripture, you always want to know what it's therefore. That's right. And so it's therefore him saying, go back to verse 18, please. 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now, you don't walk around making statements like that unless you can back it up. I mean, think about it. If you walked into one of your classes here in a few minutes and your professor got up and said, um, just wanted to start the class off by saying um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Uh, by the way, turn to page 34. You got to go, wait, wait, wait. You can't just walk around saying stuff like that, right? You got to be able to back that up. Right? So he's saying, in light of the fact that I'm God, go and make disciples of all nations. That's where I want to camp right there, nations. Right? So if you go back to the two slides ago, you cannot effectively disciple a nation unless you disciple at least seven spheres of society. Some people call it the seven mountains theology. It's just a, it's just a way to understand it because Isaiah 2, 1 through 3 says, and the mountain of the Lord will rise above all the other mountains. They will stream to it and learn from it. That the church is supposed to be educating nations. Well, you can't disciple a nation unless you disciple the family. You can't disciple a nation unless you disciple ideology or faith because people believe something. Even in atheistic countries where they believe that there's nothing to believe, they believe that. You cannot effectively disciple a country until you disciple health care because people get sick everywhere in the world. And when people get sick, they're not like, oh my gosh, I hope I feel like this for the next 50 years. No, you want to be healed. You go and try to alleviate the pain. Some countries, they'll go to witch doctors. They'll go to Sangoma. They'll go somewhere to alleviate this pain. So we have to mentor. We have to disciple healthcare. In countries where, you know, goods and services are exchanged, you have to disciple business. Usually when that happens, government comes in and regulates it. So we should be reading the Bible as a governmental document that gives us wisdom as to how to run our government, not just yelling at Fox and CNN like I do. Because that's all I can do. I can't read the Bible as a governmental document. I read the Bible as an educational document. And when I saw this program and, and then entertainment, you know, people are going to amuse. They're going to turn their brains off at some point. We, we will recreate and entertain ourselves. And so people in enter entertainment need to be discipled. I remember walking in the back of our church one time, and no matter what you think about this guy, but I left my bag after I was leading worship, left my bag in the, in the ready room, and I walked back, and my pastor was there. He said, hey, Kevin, I want you to meet my friend Justin. I was like, hi, Justin. Shook his hand, walked out, and I got outside. I was going, oh, my gosh, that was Justin Bieber. <laughs> it was Justin Bieber. That wasn't just Justin. It was Justin Bieber in the green room at my church. What's going on? Now, a lot of people don't know this. There was a time in his life when he was really struggling. And his, two of his pastors said, you know, Justin, we can't tell you what to do. He said, but you can ask us what to tell you what to do. Smart, huh? Because when you start telling people what to do and they don't give you permission, you seem arrogant. He said, well, what should I do? He said, well, we think you should leave the road for a few months. Remember when you disappeared and canceled all those concerts? He said, we think you should leave the road, cancel concerts, and live with our families. A month on the West Coast, a month on the East Coast. That's where he was. He was living with some pastors. My pastor has these, these little daughters, right? They're like eight, nine years old. And they come home and Justin Bieber's chilling at their house. Their voices are still not back from screaming. <laughs> but you know, it was really cool to see a guy in entertainment who has a lot of influence, who's really struggling with his life, say, you know what? I don't have it all together, but I'll listen to two pastors and I'll go hang out and live at their house and do life with their families and try to see 
you know, if I can get some things together. Well, anyway, I just wanted to share that story because a lot of times we hear bad things about people, but unless you get close enough to, to find out what's really happening, you don't know. And I, I just hate it when, especially Christians do that. But anyway, so um, next, next, next. Are y'all learning something right now? Yes or no? Okay, good. You don't have to say yes. You can say no. Any no's out there? Thank you for that one no. Elevate New York is what I founded. My wife and I founded it uh, about nine years ago. And to date, we've raised $2.5 million. We've invested in, into that, 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 in, that uh, community. And because when kids drop out from that, from that community, if a kid drops out from our schools, the cost of society over the course of their life is about $235,000 is the lowest number I can find, up to $2.3 million. So one dropout from our school system, from our neighborhood, South Bronx, Congressional District 16, 16 costs the American taxpayer between $235,000 on the low end to $2.3 million, depending on how many services we need to provide for them. Are you tracking with me? So we've raised and invested $2.5 million, and because of the kids who have graduated, we've probably saved America about $100 to $120 million. Because of being the church in education. I feel like God was calling me to go and do something that our educational system couldn't do. Because what they couldn't do is they couldn't get our kids to graduate at a 95 to 98% graduation rate. And that's what we do. Kids who've been in our program one to three years, they will graduate at a 95 to 98% graduation rate, which is different from the 58% graduation rate in that neighborhood. And so this is how we do it. We expose them to people. So our first guest speaker was this girl who was in my freshman Bible study. Her name used to be Samantha Steele. And then she married Christian Ponder, and she became Christian Ponder. I mean, Samantha Ponder. <laughs> He's still Christian Ponder. And then yesterday, if you were watching the NFL Countdown, that's the girl who used to be in my freshman Bible study. So we expose our kids to that because we want them exposed to people who are living their faith in the public sector. And we believe that we're called to minister to these areas of young people, intellectual, social, emotional, physical, vocational, financial, and spiritual. And how do we do it? We, a school will give us a classroom, and we will teach an elective class every single day, and we'll teach these 13 character qualities and life skills. You can see them there. I won't read them. The, 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 the uh, philosophy behind it is this. A person can be someone of great character, but if they don't have skills, then you may not know about that character, Right? So you can be a person of great, um, uh, you can be a person of great integrity, but if you can't communicate, maybe no one knows it. But you can be a great communicator right, and not have integrity. So we want to, we want our kids to be well well rounded and do both of those. And we do that with a daily classroom every day. Then we hang out in in boardrooms and at ball games and do stuff after school. Then we take kids out into nature and do stuff with them. Adventure, I call it out of the hood into the woods. This program. Uh, started in Denver, Colorado, and they would take kids to Vail every um, weekend to teach them to snowboard. And the concept is putting our students into a situation where you know they'll fail, and now they have to apply what they learned in the classroom. Make sense? And then post-secondary, our college and, and career, which we now call it. So taking kids to, on trips to Harvard, we've got a relationship with a Harvard professor, and uh, Tobin, I met her at church one day, and so... Paul is one of our graduates. He called me the other night and said, now our, our mission is building long-term, life-changing relationships with urban youth. 
So Paul is 24 years old. He's got a great job with a Canadian company. He calls me a few nights ago and goes, hey, um, I got these two tickets to the Knicks game, and I don't like the girl anymore that I was going to take to the game. I was like, you still like me? Let's go. So I'm like, and I think I put hashtag breakup, uh, breakup benefits or something like that when I posted our picture. But <laughs> it was so fun. But Paul's one of those kids. Uh, that was at Tobin's camp uh, just uh, a few weeks ago. Um, taking kids to games like this, we've, because of our work that we've done, the United Nations recognized us for that in 2013 and gave us an award. Now, what other people call at risk, we call underexposed. I love this quote from Tavis Smiley. He says, kids have a lot in common with Polaroid photos. They need to be exposed to the best in this world to develop and to fully realize human beings. Our kids aren't at risk. I think that's a fatalistic term. They just need to be exposed to what's out there, right? And that's why hopefully some of you will come and hang out in the South Bronx, in the boogie down. We'll figure out how to work that out, and they'll be exposed to you and what's unique about your culture and where you came from. You know, it's very narrow. I, I grew up in, uh, you know, all-black church in the South. You know, I'm 54 years old, so I grew up, I'm, I'm the last year of a baby boomer. Like, I am the end of the baby boom. 64 is like, we are the, we are the generation. And there's a book called The Longevity Economy. You should, you should check it out because um, one of the reasons why I'm here speaking as well is because I want to know how y'all going to treat me. Because my generation is going to live a lot longer than my mom's generation. And you guys, y'all going to live, if you want to, like if you eat right uh, and like, like take care of yourself, y'all can live to, into your 90s, 120 years old, some of y'all. So I want to talk to young people because y'all going to be running this planet, you know, when I'm in my 80s and 90s. And, you know, I need to know that it's going to be a good place to live. One of the reasons that I, um, I was passionate about this, I, I was thinking about it a few months ago, and I'm like, why, why, why am I so passionate about helping these kids? And I don't know if you ever raise money. It's, it's tough. It's difficult. My wife and I have made a lot of sacrifices because of that. I'm like, why? Why am I so passionate about this? And then I remember when my dad passed away in 07, and we were going through his, uh, through his estate, I saw this diploma. So my dad walked the halls of Cambridge in 1969. He, he graduated. That's his MBA from Harvard in 71. But because my dad could not sustain relationships with my mom, cheated on my mom, left us, married another lady, cheated on her, left her. When we were in the, the lawyer's office and we were reading the, the will and the trust, he left money to three different women. The one who thought she was the only one who was sitting there crying. He didn't have the ability to, to sustain relationships. And I was like, you know, the kids that I work with Although their dad may not have graduated from Harvard, they don't have anyone in their life to be there for them, to be that constant source of, of commitment and, and of stability. And so the things that my dad learned at Harvard about finance that allowed him to leave us an inheritance that we use so that we could do research and development on Elevate and actually start the business. So with the money I got from my inheritance, I started this business and we take kids back to Harvard. It's really a cool story. And then whenever we go there, I wear the Rolex that he left me because I, I want them to understand the story. You're here because my dad learned some stuff. He couldn't maintain a relationship, but he left us money and we could start Elevate. And now you're back at the place where he learned those principles. So we do a financial literacy campaign. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're judging me uh, homiletically, um, this doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm going to say it anyway. Y'all know what homiletics is? Oh, don't worry about it. Good. I'm not judged. 
the Holy Spirit make this help this make sense to them. This these these dudes' dad, right? Bishop Milton Wright. He had a couple of sons, Wilbur and Orville. And this is the case for not listening to your parents. The only case. He said, men will never fly because flying is for angels. You know, as you decide, and one of the things that I love helping young people with, and even not so young people, helping them discover is why are you on this planet? You may have seen it in the title. Why and then how? Because Paul said it, I believe it's Philippians. I'm sorry I didn't get this verse here, and I'm probably going to mess it up. But it's in Philippians, New Testament, Bible. Says something like this. Not that I've already attained this, I've already become perfect, but forgetting what's behind, I want to press on towards the goal to win the prize for which he's called me heaven in Christ Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Is that chapter? Ooh, I'm around some scholars over here. And he said, he says, I, he says, I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. If you've been taken hold of by the gospel, he took hold of you for a reason. And until you find that reason, you're not really living your best life. Isn't that what y'all say nowadays? Yo, I'm living my best life, man. Isn't that what y'all children do nowadays? Yeah, I'm living my best life. Well, you're trying. You're still living, but you're not living your best life unless you find out why you're here. And then you figure out a strategy to get there. Because there's a reason you're here. We all need each other. No matter what the climate is in our country right now, no matter how polarized we are, you need to understand, if you only, like, like I was in that, black, that little black church in Louisiana, if I only surround my people with black, surround myself with people who look like me and think like me, I miss out on all of the deposit of the nature and character of God that he's placed in every culture in the world. I'm trying. <laughs> and so, I'm actually a teacher, not a preacher, but maybe I had a little preach on that in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay, it's, it's 11.30. Y'all got to go to class. Um, one more. You have to see the, <laughs> my clicker's not even working no more. It's over. It's over. There it is. Oh, oh, that's not what I want you to see. I want you to see this. Because no matter where you are in life, this is where these guys started. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine people walking by these houses when people are going to say, oh, we're going to do something amazing. And they're like, you starting in here, Disney? What go what's a Google? Amazon? Isn't that like a river somewhere? Apple? Don't you eat those? This is where they started. And you never know if you will grab hold to the purposes of God for your life where you will end up. That's me on a horse in a ranch in Colorado. And that's why I'm here. Some of you might remember Tony Warnock was here from, you remember Tony from uh, Lost Valley Ranch? And Tony and I are now friends. We're actually writing a book on mentoring together because he mentors cowboys and cowgirls there. And I mentor kids in the poorest congressional district in America. And what we found out is that there are a lot of similarities in what we do. And there are a lot of differences as well. And we want a, a, black, dude, a black cowboy and a white cowboy are going to write a book together in this climate in our country and actually honor and celebrate the differences rather than using those differences as points of polarization. Thank you. I'm a minute over. Your dean said, well, you can go over if the Holy Spirit moves. And I said, well, the Holy Spirit is usually pretty much in alignment with school schedules, right? <laughs> if it's a school. Um, 
Every once in a while, you have an Asbury, you know, revival in the 1970s. But, uh, so, but I want to get to know, this is the beginning of a conversation, and I'd love to stay in touch with you guys. That's how you get in touch with me. And uh, can I pray for you before you head out, please? Lord, I just thank you for all of these young people and the adults you've called to, to mentor and disciple and teach them. And, Lord, I'm just asking that you would do something powerful. As I sang in that first song, Lord, may your favor rest upon their lives. The, the irresistible charisma of Christ that can come upon a person when they understand God's call for their life so that others are inclined to like them, work with them, and, 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 and cooperate with them, even if they're not instinctively drawn to them. Let them have this force, this force of favor, this power that's available to us as your children. And open doors for them that no one else can open. Let people do things for these young people that they're going, I don't have the education, I don't have the pedigree, but I am now standing in a place, I am living in a place, I am having influence with people that I shouldn't have, but I know it was God. So, Lord, I'm asking you to do that for them. I'm asking you for the, to allow them to have a great day of study in the day. And, uh, Lord, bring unity and forgiveness where there needs to be in this family. Lord, there, there's a lot of relationships here. So maybe some people need to say, I'm sorry. Maybe some people need to say, I forgive you. Um, quicken in their hearts and uh, let them do what they need to do so that they can give you glory with their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I had fun. See y'all later. Go to class. Go to class.